1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Robbie Sansom is the CEO of Force of Nature Meats. I really wanted to have a conversation in the meat space because the only time that we get any sort of pushback on Blood Origins episodes is when we have someone on there talking about the reason that they came to hunting is because of their, dare I say, disgust of the animal agricultural business. And what I typically get in response, criticism, is that that's not what it's like. Regenerative agriculture is booming. Regenerative agriculture have farmers looking after the land that are looking after the animals and very much represent and is akin to what we as hunters are looking for from meat from the landscape that we take from. Robbie is a phenomenal individual, knows his subject matter incredibly well. Uh, Force of Nature Meats used to be Epic Meats, if you remember the bars, and uh, they've got a great story. And I really wanted to see how hunting and regenerative agriculture from a meat perspective sort of dovetail together. And I know you're going to love the conversation. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So, yes, you have one of the best names in the world, uh, Robbie. Well, you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty fond of it. You know, I think I think it can be spelled a variety of ways, but you know, regardless how many times of spelling? Okay, now this is the real, real tester question. <laughs> how do you spell your Robbie? It's got a Y on the end. Oh, <laughs> oh podcast over. Podcast yep. over. I'm yep. an IE. I'm an IE guy. No, I know. I saw I saw that on the in 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 the, in the <laughs> kind of coming up to this, and I was like, oh man, that guy has a name just like mine, except for it's how everybody else tries to spell my. I'm sure you get all the Y. I'm sure you like only notice the opposite, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. When I reached out to you guys, I assume Sarah runs your social. Uh, Sarah is uh, helps us with partnerships and affiliates and um, and events and all kinds of stuff within marketing. Yeah, so I don't know who runs your social, but I reached out to your to your team. Um, I'm look it up right now. Probably Morgan might have been the guy that responded to you, or Emily. Uh, I'm gonna find out right now. Yeah, so I reached out, um, and uh, they didn't tell me who it was, but they said get a hold of Sarah. Um, but you know the. Before I get on, because I typically tend to run down a rabbit hole like right away in our podcasts, um, and I do a terrible job of introducing people, and so I'm going to do a better job today. Uh, Robbie, with a Y, (laughs) why don't you introduce yourself, and welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, My name's Robbie, uh, and uh, I am one of the co-founders and and, and CEO of Force of Nature Meets. Man, I feel like I could introduce Force of Nature Meets too, but we're about to ask, we're about about to ask a lot of a lot of questions on. Yeah, that. introduce some, some Force of let's just introduce Force of Nature Meets. Like, what what are you guys? Because I reached out specifically. Um, I'll t- I'll say this: I reached out specifically because I, I started following you guys because of what I saw as an ethos that that really came through your social media platforms. And it was really this cultivation of the story behind your meat and the reason why people eat meat and this caring, almost this, this, this feeling that came through your social media platform was like, shit, man, we care. We care a lot. How close did I get? Pretty damn, pretty damn spot on. Um, no, and and thank you for for saying that. and And thanks for reaching out. You know, the, the story of force of nature kind of starts even a little further back in time. Um, my, my co-founders, Katie and Taylor, um, uh, and, and I, they were the co-founders of a brand called Epic provisions. Um, and the Epic was actually preceded by a vegan energy bar company called uh, Thunderbird. And Katie what? and Taylor, no, 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 no. You started a vegan energy so, bar that then re- became a meat well, based I think- company. That's that's pretty provocative, right? And so, so Katie and Taylor um, were vegans. In fact, they were vegetarian, then vegan, then raw food, and they kind of went down. They followed that journey of conventional wisdom, doing everything that you know all of the talking heads said was the right thing to do for your own health and for the planet and for animals and all the things, right? If you give, mm-hmm. if you care about broader group of stakeholders, like that's the one right way. And they just kept having issues and challenges and struggles. Or if you care it. about the planet, right? right? You should be eating that. Exactly. Right. And so um, un- un- unfortunately for them, like for many, it didn't work out the way that the promises were made, right? It became really clear um, after having reincorporated healthy animal proteins into their diet, that th- all of their issues went away. And then it became, okay, well, I still care about, you know, the welfare of animals. I still care about the impact on lands. I still care about these things. How do I, how do I eat meat and, and, and be a conscious carnivore mm-hmm. and, and be proud of it? Um, and you know, that, that turned into this company called Epic Provisions, um, which is, you know, kind of the roots of, and, and the origin of the mission of force of nature, right? We said at Epic, um, Early on, 
um, you know, figured out to answer that question, right? Healthy, healthy meat comes from healthy animals. Healthy animals come from healthy lands um, where they're able to live their, um, the, the lives they were designed to live in nature, execute their evolutionary consistent behaviors and eat that evolutionarily consistent diet and on and on and on, right? Probably not unlike the wild animals that you might find on an epic adventure. Um, and sure, so that, sure. that, you know, that kind of started us down the rabbit hole of sourcing food and meat and into this idea of regenerative agriculture. And, and, and that brand grew quickly. We, we made uh, bars and jerkies and um, skins and oils and cooking fats. And we sold that brand to General Mills um, and, and, and took great care in how we transitioned and, and, and handed those reins over. But the mission behind like, hey, there's an opportunity to improve consumer awareness around um, farming and ranching and, and mm. health diet and lifestyle and, and particularly around to correct these myths uh, and untruths that are told around meat. And so, you know, we kind of took that mission uh, and, and evolved it from ounces to pounds with force right. of nature. But and, and even the name force of nature is it's more than just a cool idiom, right? It kind of kind of stands up in defense of meat. And we always say kind of say reclaiming the legacy of meat, right? Like the animals didn't get it wrong. Nature didn't get it wrong. You know, it isn't we didn't get where we are today with the set of challenges that we had because we failed to produce a plant alternative meat in a factory sooner, right? Um, it is in breaking um, the cycles of nature and deviating and mining and, um, and, and, and practicing this kind of dominion mindset on our agriculture lands that we've created these issues. And so many of the fake the, the false prophets out there that claim to be solutions to these issues are really just perpetuating the status quo. It's pulling the wool over the eyes of the consumer. Um, and, you know, I think for us, we love meat. What is the, what is the biggest wool that's being pulled over the consumer's eye, Robbie? Oh, that meat from is... A meat, from a meat perspective. Yeah, I think this idea that, that meat is unhealthy. and uh, Can meat be unhealthy? Because one of the things you said in the beginning about force of nature that I wrote down was healthy meats i think like is there such a thing as an unhealthy meat well i, I think that that's that's a tricky question i think so twofold on that first question right that meat's unhealthy mm -hmm. and that it's unsustainable and that meat mm -hmm. meat agriculture animal agriculture is a problem mm -hmm. I, I think how, how do you define health is a, is a big is a big question too uh, i think um meat from my vantage can be unhealthy if it is perpetuating a system that causes um, devastation of lands and impairs the ability of our children to produce food, and if it um, promotes a system that causes thousands and thousands of family farms to fail every year, and that results in farmer suicide rates being higher than that of veterans returning from war, mm -hmm. uh, and it's unhealthy if it leads to a myriad of other and it promotes and contributes to a myriad of other challenges from pollinator die off to dead zones in oceans to loss of ecosystems and uh, wildlife and biomass and on and on and on and on and on. Now, to the, to the, from the nutritional perspective, eating meat is better than eating anything else. And I do think there is a spectrum of some meat, which is more healthy than others on a, on a strictly nutritional. Mm -hmm. I think you can look at K, like the, the worst example of industrial CAFO conventional meat. Um, still spending a bunch of its time on pasture, not probably getting the same um, mineral uptake and not living the same healthy, thriving life as the wild game you might want to hunt and you might choose to fuel yourself mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. 
But on a mi- macro and micro level, they're, they're pretty consistent. I think if mm-hmm. you look deeper than that and you look into phytonutrients and you look into toxic to- toxin loads within those, I mean, we're just on the cusp of starting to understand more and more. So I do think that there is some meat that is more healthy than other uh, meat. It's and interesting there, there is because a lot of meat that contributes to a broader set of solutions than other meat for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you answered it in a way that I think 99% of people, me included in that equation, would have not looked at meat from a health perspective tied to the environment. When people think healthy meats, like I heard you say healthy meats, I was like, what does that mean dietarily, nutritionally? I think people have, don't look at it from a environmental perspective the way that you just described it, which is, which is great. Well, it's not just environmental, right? I, I talked about the social toll on oh yeah, the social people, of the, the right? I mean, at, yeah. at, at 1900, I think 30% of the U.S. population was in food production. Now it's about 3%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk, you know, 5,000, maybe 10,000 farms a year failing in this system. That's families, that's legacies, that's senses, that's self that's these people's identities and their sense of self-worth. We are failing them. Mm-hmm. So the system is not healthy. And I think mm-hmm. the worst example of conventional meat is pretty atrocious. You know, I, I, I can't stand for it. I don't want to consume it. I refuse to support it. Um, and I think the best example is truly remarkable. Um, and, and we always so say... So what, like, what would be the worst example of meat, Robbie? You know, I think um, these, these, confine, these confinement-based operations that are conting- contingent on perpetuating that system full well knowing the 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 challenges that are um inclusive in it i I think monogastrics particularly are extra difficult yeah not so so pork and and, and poultry but Mm -hmm. you you can expand so so if you're looking at a small barn with forty thousand chickens in it that have less than one square feet of space each it's truly you have to wear a hazmat suit effectively to walk into that room. They need special air handlers. They're small. They have a short lifespan. They're they're severely mistreated. We do things to confuse consumers, like totally artificially create this environment where and we curate the food supply. But then we put a claim on the label like, oh, it's a vegetarian fed chicken as if it's a good thing. That should be a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. That it's coming from this this artificial environment. So the, the welfare of the animals is pretty awful. The only way that you can sustain that is through um, millions of square miles of um, traditional chemical input-based, destructive, tillage-based, monoculture, uh, industrial agriculture, right? Because that's where the feedstock comes from all of those animals to sustain an environment like that that wouldn't otherwise be compatible with life. And that's where 80% of the antibiotic use in the country goes. It's not to mm-hmm. help us when we're sick. It's to perpetuate life in environments that aren't compatible with life and animal agriculture and to promote growth. Um, and so I think these are just kind of atrocious examples, right? And I, and, and I think the better way to answer that question is, I think I think consumers have different perspectives on what they, what they want to support and don't want to support. Um, and I think that that's a right that they should have. I don't, it's not, it's not my job to tell people what to think and feel. I think for us, it's to expose people to the truth so that they can then decide for themselves what systems that they want to be complicit in and supporting. And I think the system that produces the majority of the animal protein in this country is a system that the majority of consumers who are, um, utilizing that protein would be disappointed in. Mm -hmm. And if, 
And when they have that transparency and that visibility into that system, I think that they'll start to select for a different, uh, they'll, they'll start to cast a vote at the register for a different system. Again, it may not be fully on the spectrum of what, what, what I'm trying to promote, but I bet you that they would recognize that what they think they're getting is not what they're getting and they want something a little better. But uh, Robbie, so one of the counters to your, the argument here, the counters to the thing that force of nature does from a regenerative agriculture perspective is that there's not enough space to do what you guys do to feed the population and its need. Is that a true statement or is that just rhetoric that is put out there and is false? I'd say that's a false statement. Um, and I'm very confident in that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that myth that, you know, in order to feed a growing population, any, you know, basically any compromise we're trying to justify is necessary, right? And you always hear that narrative from the really big food companies with really big stakes and perpetuating the status quo. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there is so much land uh, around the globe um, that is um, dedicated to agriculture production, right? So the, the actual land mass of the, the globe is something like 30 plus billion acres. 11 billion acres of that is in, is in some form of agriculture production. Just in the United States alone, it's about 2 billion acres and about a billion acres of the U.S. is in some form of agriculture production. Mm. A small amount of that is um, that prime land that's suitable for row crop ag agriculture. Much of it is rangeland, and much of that rangeland or pastoral land is severely degraded. It's called That process is called desertification. It's mm. where you disrupt the ecosystem, disrupt the, the natural cycles, and effectively start to mine um, the productivity out of it and degrade it. And, you know, you can, the best example of that, that I would point to, to understand why that's a bad thing is if you look at the fertile crescent where human life spawned and evolved from has now hardly, been fully desertified, hardly, hardly fertile any longer, hard, hard to imagine the garden of Eden, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, 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 in the middle East any longer. Um, and so that, that reality, um, is, is affecting, the overwhelming 70% of the highly productive food, you know, agriculture lands in, in, in the world are, are, are degraded and, and becoming desertified. And so, you know, kind of going back to your point, um, there's, there's tons of, um, if we, we take the existing land for animal agriculture and convert it, we take um, land that is not getting the benefit and the key ecosystem services that they, that, that land requires to thrive and we incorporate management of animals on that land to both produce food and to build resiliency into that land and restore some of these cycles. Um, we take land that is producing, like there's you know, something like 50 million acres in the United States that's growing corn for ethanol, which is the dumbest mm -hmm. thing ever. It's, it, it, it is not green. It takes, it, it's a, it's, it, it produces more carbon than it sequesters by trying to burn this clean fuel. It makes no sense. Right. And so there's all these examples right. of, of how we can convert. But I, th I think I would also say that the fundamental premise of, oh, we can't make this change. There's not enough land is, is bullshit. Uh, the reality is we don't have a choice. We have to make a change. If we just maintain the status quo, we will degrade this land, much like the Fertile Crescent, to the point where we can't produce food. And there's been various studies and various research and organizations that have said anywhere you know, from a couple generations to inside of the next hundred years, we've degraded, we've eroded soils, degraded for, for organic matter levels and soils, caused fertility to go down. We won't be able to produce food. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like we make the change instead of fighting it, or we just look over the precipice of the cliff and we say, well, shit, we should have done something sooner. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, one of the things, a lot of 
people are like, Robbie, what the hell, man? You're 16 minutes in, 17 minutes into this podcast, and you know, Blood Origins focuses on the truth around hunting. And but I feel like the truth around food and the truth around meat specifically is because a lot of hunters become hunters because of the food element um, that they derive from that animal. They know how it lived. They know how it died. They know who touched the meat. They know how it was processed. And to them, that's a very, very important part of utilizing that food for their families, feeding their friends, inviting people over, giving the meat away. And to me, regenerative agriculture, the, 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 the philosophy that you are advocating, that you're espousing here, is very much as, as akin, as close to what hunters are striving for when they take animals themselves. I, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I think, I think forming a relationship with your food matters. I think there is a, there's a primal sense within us that maybe we fail to acknowledge or appreciate. And there's coding within our own DNA um, that, that drives us. Um, and then, frankly, there's evolutionary ties too. We all come from, from the same, you know, mm -hmm. uh, evolutionary background. We're meant to be on that land following those herds of animals. That's our, that's our place in, in nature. And their place in nature is to provide these incredible services on that land and play a valuable role. Uh, and and fr quite frankly, m much of what we're talking about are ruminants, right? Elk, venison, mm -hmm. deer, in my mm -hmm. case, bison, cows, etc. And they do something nothing else can do. They upcycle protein. And they make it available to omnivores and carnivores and humans. And then we all eat it. And then we die. And then we, um, you know, become food for the next soil organisms, which create new grass, which keep that cycle alive, right? Like we're part of that. And I think it's within us to 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 want to be in it. And I think I think it's not just the the desire to connect with your food and know the life it lived, the the death that it experienced, and have that respect and appreciation. I think that goes to reducing the amount of food waste. People aren't, aren't, aren't as likely to throw parts of meat away or cuts away from an animal that they, they harvested themselves. I think it also goes uh, to the next, an, another layer that I think is fundamentally human, which is taking that meat and sharing it with your community, feeding your family, feeding your neighbors, telling sure. the story of it. I mean, sure. it's just, again, there's just so much that is fundamentally us. I, I, I would say to relate that to force of nature um, you know, my opinion of how, how and where I, I would say the best places to, to procure meat are is, you know, the number one unparalleled best place would be with a rifle or a bow and a backpack and days on end suffering through, you know, some <laughs> mountain range, struggling, failing, and maybe um, harvesting an animal and then getting to suffer and struggle more as you try to figure out how to break that animal down and get it back and pack it out and avoid any mega carnivores in the process sure, that look sure. at you as if your food or try to reclaim, you know, claim your kill. Um, all, for all those reasons that you just laid out, I think that's just, that's just, that's unquestionably the best. Um, so not, not everybody um, has the same access to that or the same, uh, or can do that with the same frequency to, to source that meat for, for their, the size of their family for the year, whatever means geography, all, you know, there's limitations. I think the next best is to have, a regenerative ranch that is offering the cuts and types of animals you want down the road, a neighbor, a true neighbor, mm -hmm. not, not just local, 
you know, you can do, you can be local and doing bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a, 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 you know, somebody that, um, you've been able to see and meet and fade again, like you had, you know, just like hunting your food, forming a relationship, understanding the values of the, the, the people behind what, what, what you're sourcing. And if you have somebody like that, that's down the street from you, go give them all the support and love that, 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 that you can, because they need it. I, I think I think at best we're the third best place to get meat, right? Because we're working with those local people on on a national level. Um, not everybody lives next door to those folks, right? And so, yeah, yeah. so we're working with you know the best folks in California and Georgia and the Carolinas and Montana and you know everything in between, and trying to build this massive network um, and of, of folks that are practicing regenerative agriculture. The, the the tip of the spear, the highest and best practices on the land. Um, and, and, and then supporting them, um, and connecting them by, by helping to generate this, uh, and, and, and create the supply network that gives them credit and rewards them for the great things that they're doing on the land, um, by connecting them to consumers and with, on the consumer front, it's about creating awareness and then access, right? Again, like I said earlier, helping folks become aware of the truth behind the food system that they're, they're likely involved in right now and what alternatives and other options are out there. And then make sure that the act, like there's a call to action that's easy. We're available online. We'll deliver it to your door. We're available mm -hmm. in about 15,000 retail locations across the country. Mm -hmm. You know, we're available in restaurant chains, et cetera. So we're going to make it really, we want to get you excited about what and why behind food and supporting these amazing heroes on the land. We want to make it really easy for you to do that. Um, again, for the, for the overwhelming majority of folks who aren't, hunting for all of their protein or don't live next to an incredible operation. And, and I do think, you know, kind of lastly, as it relates to hunting and land, uh, the, the respect and admiration of land, land systems and wildlife. Um, you know, I just, I spoke a moment ago about the, the, the scale of agriculture, right? It's everywhere. And like, we're taking these wild lands and we're killing all of the native ecosystem, the undergrowth, the understory, the trees, the forbs, forage, all of it, right? And, and and turning it into moonscape. Half of the year mm -hmm. it's tilled, dead, dirt, you know, and then and then for some part of the year it's, you know, maybe growing some monocrop. It's truly a it's truly a desert of 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 vegetation. And it takes a lot of chemicals and a lot of machinery to to maintain it in that state. And there's spillover, right? Something mm -hmm. like forty percent of what gets sprayed on on a on the on a land stays there. The rest runs off. So we're talking about killing waterways and streams, killing oceans, killing habitat for wildlife. If we love getting out in the outdoors and the wild nature and seeing wild places and their and their awesome beauty, we have to protect them. And and part of that is protecting them from our food system. We we can mm -hmm. have we have a choice. We can have a food system that celebrates diversity and celebrates nature and natural systems and wants to restore and build resiliency into that, or a system that's going to keep degrading it. And that system that is degrading these wild places is the existing predominant overwhelming food system that produces, you know, the trillions of tons of food we feed the world with right now. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'll, let me pose a simple question to you, and then I'll, I'll follow up with what I was thinking. Are you seeing a resurgence? Are you seeing a resurgence in the small farm regenerative uh, type scenario? Yeah, there's a renaissance happening. It's pretty wild. Um, you know, you're here, you're... <laughs> engineers and scientists and 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 uh are becoming silicone farmers. valley people right are like moving out onto the land um and 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 trying to um you know kind of revert back i think especially coming out of COVID, i think we're seeing a lot of people say 
hey, you know what? Maybe these cities that have 20 or 30 million people piled on top of each other are human feedlots, human CAFOs, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. I don't want my neighbors and all my business telling me how to live my life and I should go move someplace where I can move and breathe and actually live in a human natural state and have my own mm -hmm. kind of freedoms and liberties to do mm -hmm. as I please. And um, yeah. I, I think I think there is definitely a resurgence of, of folks trying to get out on the land. At the same time, you know, you have, again, all of these farmers failing and their livelihoods disintegrating and the next generation of farmers not returning to the land. We have a hopeless, predominant food system. Um, the average age of a farmer is over 60. The next generation isn't returning to the farm. If they do, they are more likely to fail than not. And the system that is failing them is the same system that is benefiting Bill Gates such that he can buy up all that land when they fail and now become the largest farmland owner in the United States. So yeah, mm -hmm. there's a, there's this renaissance happening and this appreciation happening, but it isn't happening faster than big money and big business is scooping up this land. And, you know, mm -hmm. I can promise you this, when you get big business involved in your food, they're, they're driving profits. Not, they're not trying to figure out how best they can celebrate your values. Yeah. When your neighbor or a farmer is the one producing the food they're they're coming from a human perspective they're trying to maintain their they're trying to keep their thing going but they care about you they care about mm -hmm. their community they care about what they're putting in there they're making sacrifices um mm -hmm. i don't want to lose that mm -hmm. yeah the reason i asked the question the way that i couched it is that uh, i'm sure you've watched the film little big farm i think it is right the, <laughs> the one that's little farm. the biggest little farm sorry i messed it up uh phenomenal film phenomenal film about regenerative agriculture and working with the land and working with, um, you know, wildlife and whatnot. And, you know, you've got people coming out of South Africa and Zimbabwe, Alan Savory, uh, and it's regenerative agriculture work in Zimbabwe. There's another guy that started up a regenerative conservation, I think is his handle on Instagram, doing sort of cattle, rotational cattle work in wildlife areas in South Africa. And then I came across some guys out of Australia. Uh, that I started following them and they same thing sort of big ag kicking big ag to the curb essentially and taking back over and to your point regenerating the land to what it used to be and, and obviously Australia has so many different issues there you know desertification as you mentioned but also you know the salt water table rising and causing just all sorts of, of problems uh, in the system there um, you know one of the things we don't often get in blood origins people saying negative things about us it we we sit very much a message that that pertains to a lot of people but when we do get uh poked when we do get someone calling us out it's the regenerative ag guys and the reason being is that we have we have people's stories people's hearts coming to hunting because of the unhealthy agriculture and almost putting a label. So it would be almost me saying, uh, putting a label on force of nature meats that is pumping cows full of antibiotics, CAFOs type facilities. I've been there. I saw it. I don't like it. That's why I became a hunter. And I have farmers reach out to me go, mm, that's not what I do. That's not how I grow my meat. That's not how I grow my cows. That's not how I grow my beef. And it's the it's the pasture type system, the regenerative guys that are quick to tell me, hey, stop lumping us into this 
bigger group that everyone has this big perception around. Yeah, I think I think that doesn't sound like hate mail. That that sounds a little bit more like uh, not not so fast. Oh no, it's right? not don't, hate. No, no, it's not hate mail. I, I, like, I over embellished it. <laughs> right. Well, and I think the hunting community can 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 appreciate that, right? Like, I don't think the average person recognizes that there is no conservation by and large without hunters, right? Mm -hmm. There's legislation that ensures that, and there's a mindset there. But I think a lot of people think of hunters as, <laughs> you know, try. I hate these terms and I don't want to use any political terms, but, uh, you know, taking uh, more gun than they need, sitting in a box with beer and it, it, whatever it might right. be, you know, just right. like this gross over stuff. It's like, that is, that is not who we are. That is not who I am. Don't, you know, if you want to take the worst example of something and assign it to the whole thing, that's, that's unfair. And mm -hmm. I think that's the reality of me. And, and I, so, so I agree with, with everybody. I think, I think if you think the conventional model is failing you and you have access to go hunting and harvesting your own animals, damn right you should do that. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But for the other part that you, maybe you can't harvest or for those that aren't in the same shoes as you, you know, if they're frustrated by the conventional model, don't give up on meat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, support a better system. And, it, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and a system that, you know, again, as we say, take that vicious system and let's replace it with a virtuous one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So force of nature meats, you obviously deal with your traditional meats, but you also deal with bison. Correct. Can you talk to bison a little bit and, and maybe is there a next step beyond bison? I know that there's a company out of Hawaii, Maui Nui, that's working with, has developed a USDA, FDA approved process to uh, put access meat into the food chain. Um, is bison... Is that where we're stopping? Is that well? You really is there nothing else available? Just a little bit of context there. So, um, sorry, I threw a bunch of questions at you. No, 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 <laughs> there is a lot. I've, and unfortunately, I always have a lot to say. But um, you know, bison is just bison are awesome, right? Mm -hmm. They're just these amazing romantic animals. They're tied fundamentally tied to this continent, not just culture and. Um, and, and, and history, but I mean, bison are the largest herd of megafauna since the last ice age. Um, and they are the original soil builders. It was, you know, 50, 60 plus million bison roaming from, from Canada down to Mexico that instilled the fertility into the land that put us at the advantageous situation we're in to produce the food that we've been producing, that we've been mining ever since. And we decimated that population down into, you know, as low as dozens or hundreds. Um, and now we've built that population back up to maybe a half a million animals or so. Mm -hmm. So it pales mm -hmm. in comparison to this historical dominance and context. Uh, uh, but it's a pretty cool story of conservation and, um, and, and frankly, bringing something back that's crucial. I think one of the things that's interesting about bison is they're a keystone species. A keystone species means that an animal group has a disproportionate impact relative to its size and scale. Now, bison had a big size and scale. So for them to have right. an even disproportionate impact, I mean, they tied the shit together, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the grass evolved with it. There are species of amphibians that evolved to live nothing but in the water that is held in the wallows of bison. Birds that mm -hmm. make nests out of bison fur, their young has a much higher rate of survival because it blocks odors and heat retention. And these are all ecosystem services that these natural cycles require to thrive and if you just pull bison off the land you 
cut those cycles and all of a sudden everything, there's a cascade effect or a butterfly mm -hmm. effect, right? Mm -hmm. um, of things that are impacted. And you add in the decimation of those animals and that, and, 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 and that species to be, uh, and then you add in, um, you know, private property rights and building fences and dams and stuff. And we've really disrupted the ability for those cycles to continue. We have this opportunity through agriculture to reintroduce and celebrate those cycles that are critical for healthy lands and land systems through how we manage livestock. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just awesome to me. So, so why bison? Uh, Awesome food, tastes great, nutritionally dense. People love it. Not enough of it out there. We owe it to that that animal to continue to support its, um, celebrate it and help grow that herd and those herd numbers. Um, and we basically are using bison. We emulate how and what bison did to add value to our world um, by managing, you know, beef cattle uh, in similar ways. Yeah. We also are doing that. And, and just for context, yes, we do have um the traditional protein pork uh beef poultry we also have bison as you noted we have wild you have any pork. lamb we we do not not yet uh but oh, we do have, man we... the south african is like desperate for lamb <laughs> I, I love lamb too we had a lamb product at epic and it was our least popular one it was probably my favorite one mm -hmm. so uh, uh so it's it's we're aware of it and there's plenty of incredible lamb are awesome man they can do some really cool stuff whether it's upcycling um uh, you, you know, in this, in the, in the way another room it does, but like fire management and grazing lamb on, on solar. There's just really, really cool stuff that are being done there. And I think those folks deserve, um, to be credited and rewarded as well. But, but again, you know, just going back to what we offer, we do offer venison and, and elk and wild boar, uh, in addition to bison and the wild Where are those coming lines. out of Ro so Robbie? The, the wild boar, uh, well, the, the venison, the elk, since you asked about those, um, they're coming out of New Zealand. Yep. So yep. these are they're coming off of and, and I would I would love to support as much American made and produced um, sure. protein as I can. There's not an operation like that in the continental United States that's doing it to our standards. Right. Again, mm -hmm. managing these animals and herds of animals in a way that they're adding value to land systems. Um, the wild boar um, are not being farmed at all. They're being wild caught in Texas. Uh, there's a whole system behind that um, and explaining. But, you know, these are. These are the same genetic animals as um, domesticated pigs. You know, they've been released into the wild. And you probably know a lot of what happens sure, when they get released sure. in the wild. Some of their nature changes a little bit. Um, uh, no natural predators, short gestation period, large litters, multiple times a year. The numbers have, have proliferated and they're causing major damage, not just you know economic damage to ag systems, but... Um, biological damage to ecosystems right. and, and right. you know all, all kinds of waterways and ground nesting birds and, and, and all sorts of stuff and so you know there's limited options for how you can address that problem and 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 some of them are you know probably ethically questionable some of them probably do more harm than good and then there's this idea that hey these things taste really good and uh why don't we try to catch as many as we can and start to and catch whole entire sounders of them? Because that matters, right? Mm -hmm. you know, shooting mm -hmm. one doesn't do as, the same as removing the actual community yep. Yep. Um, and putting that in the food system. So trying to come at different problems with different species from different ways. And again, all working down to being this national brand that's familiar and recognizable that people can trust and form like that relationship like we were talking about. Trying to, on a national scale, provide create create regional food supplies by supporting local um, uh, land stewards practicing, you know, the highest 
um, level of, of, of land management and, and agriculture across protein. So whatever a consumer wants uh, across that offering, and again, however they want to buy it, whatever meal they're providing for, whether it's breakfast or dinner or lunch or whatever. So we're just trying to how, make it so easy on the consumer to yeah, support sure. a better way, right? How do you how do you qualify that someone is actually doing what they say they're doing, Robbie? It, it may be it's super easy. Like, yeah, I want to I want to sell my meats to force of nature and like do you have someone that goes on the ground and says yes you're operating correctly like because to me that's that's the thing right the certification bar certification in any industry right is where the meat pardon the pun where the meat meets the, meets the road essentially right where the rubber meets the road yeah and i think that's an area where that work is critical because there is um there are so many there's so much dishonesty and liberties being taken right and i think it starts right. with what claims matter right i kind of pointed out earlier vegetarian fed is a bogus bogus claim and there there are others you know natural the claim of natural mm -hmm. on a product like, there's no it doesn't mean anything it's meat it, it, it everything is natural right. um by by the by the legal or technical definition right and you know grass-fed everything is grass-fed at some point Hmm. Um, and, and, and the room in the case of ruminant beef, for example. Right. Um, and so, you know, you got to actually know what, what you're looking for and what the right claim is. Is it 100% grass fed and grass finished? Is it pasture raised? Um, and is it being managed to these core tenants and principles of regenerative agriculture, where it's having a more positive impact on, on its environment and a broader group of stakeholders for us? How do we, how do we ensure that? We do. We go myself or one of my one of my co-founders or my my VP of operations leadership goes to these farms and operations to validate firsthand what is and what isn't happening. Um, we think it's important to see it, not just plug our ears and cover our eyes and let somebody tell us what we want to hear. Um, we think it's important to meet with leadership and understand their why. You know, like is this is this all a facade or do you really? give a damn like are you doing mm -hmm. this because it means mm -hmm. something to you and you're passionate about it and mm -hmm. so we kind of we kind of we, we we have our own scorecarding and grading system to bring somebody in and then we maintain that over time we have what we call a land steward index and on an annual basis at least we're um we're reevaluating what they've done and are doing and we kind of we, we, we actually try to have a pretty high standard in fact we don't think that there's a, a destination a final point all right i mean we actually say within it that our expectation is that you're raising the bar every year um, and that, you know, progress is our, is, there, there's a minimum bar, but we're not going to accept somebody who races and dig their heels in and sits there. We're looking for somebody that's looking to try to figure out how can I be better, yeah, um, yeah. At, you know, every single year. And so we drive and, and, and accountability over time. There are some third party organizations out there to, 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 you know, create a seal or a standard that is, you know, validated. That's a slippery slope. There's mm -hmm. There's dozens to hundreds of little circle brownie, you know, Girl Scout badges that you can sure, get to put sure. on a package. And the overwhelming majority of them are pay to play. Cut me a check and I'll and I'll put you in my program. And again, just like any other claim or standard, consumer they're designed to pull the wool over, you know, confuse consumers to some extent. And so there's some good ones out there for welfare, there's some bad ones. There's some good ones out there for diet, there's some bad ones. There's some, you know. Um, I think for regenerative, I think that's kind of inorganic and non-GMO. I think for regenerative, it's kind of like the tip of the spear. In order to be regenerative, by and large, all of the other things kind of fall in line. And I think Savory Institute has a, a, a certification that we helped develop with them called the Land mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. to market program. It's backed by this ecological outcome verification protocol and bunches of science. Rodale Institute has one um, called Regenerative Organic. Even those, there's differences of opinions on which is better or worse and why, which we could get into. And now there's others developing different protocols. I think um, Understanding Ag is coming out with one called Regenified now. And so there's not one single ubiquitous standard that's widely regarded and heralded as the one path forward. And not all of them have reached all the lands and all the ranches to do the certification. And further, consumers don't understand yet um, how much um, value they should put into each of those things. So I, I think it's coming along. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and we want to see that and support that. Um, and, and in the interim, um, you know, we're doing our own work to try to do our own validations and then be transparent with consumers about what we are and aren't doing and 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 um and what the broader industry is and isn't doing and you know put them on a path to make a choice for themselves i want to the the wild pig scenario is 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 fascinating um what how do you hold someone to that standard because is it more of a, a harvest standard then in terms of like how they are collected, how they're dispatched? And I'm assuming there's a bunch of USDA, FDA stuff that goes along with that. Yeah, well, n- not as much FDA as much as USDA when it comes to, you know, a- animal and ag. I wish it was only FDA. You could do anything. You could you could make <laughs> any claim on a supplement. You could make it. You could put anything you want in a box of stuff that's ground up but when it when it when it gets to meat and, and dairy and stuff i mean there's a usda inspector looking at every single thing you do literally in the plant every time anything's running so mm-hmm. um i think we could talk about wild boar for a while for a while but specifically with standards that we have and what we're and what we're looking for um you know the, the, the way that it works is you, you tend to have you know ranches or other ag operations where you have somebody on the ground that's willing to set up and monitor a trap, right? And these traps sure, have to sure. have water. Like we don't want animals to yep. suffer in this process un- un- unnecessarily, but we need to, we need to eradicate them. Right. And, 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 you know, you can make the argument that almost anything is better than, you know, gut shooting them out of a helicopter from an ethics stand, from an ethical standpoint. Um, but we can, we can be better. And, 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 and so, and so we will. And so it's, you know, have access to feed, have access to water, check them at intervals such that they're not staying there for any extended duration of time, right, right, transport right. them rapidly. They go to, they, they go to aggregation centers um, and, you know, are sorted there on their oh, way. So to, you're, you're, you're trapping and moving live. Correct. correct. Gotcha. And gotcha. then, and then processing under USDA and a US certified USDA. That makes slaughter, sense. Slaughter, that makes a lot more sense. Slaughter, yep. clean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking at the organs to make sure there's no disease. You know, you get that question a lot with some of the myths mm-hmm. around, um, you know, wild pigs. Um, so the exact same, um, you know, once it's, once it arrives at a slaughter facility, it's the same journey as a domestic pig, practically speaking, right? How mm-hmm. it got there is instead of being raised on a ranch and then transported in a trailer, it was captured on a ranch and then transported in a trailer, you know, is yeah, probably the easiest way to think about it. Yeah, it makes sense. My kids, I'll tell you what, if you had to ask my kids, I've got two savages, 10 and 9, two boys, and their favorite thing in the whole wide world is wild pig. It's like so good. corn-fed Texas wild pig, the, when you make a pork chop out of it, like my son says, he makes a rib graveyard in front of him, because he can ju- and he's got the fat going down his face, <laughs> it is unbelievable, and it's so tasty, man, it's it's. It's the best. It's better than any pork chop I've ever bought out of any grocery store. You know, it's 
it, it's so true. I mean, people that try it always come back to me with that feedback. This is so good. What's this, what's special about it? It's like that animal was living the life it designed to live. It was thriving. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, well, I don't want to get down too far down the rabbit hole of pork, but it's 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 a tricky. But isn't one. that your motto for sort of force of nature that your animals are thriving, and maybe that's the difference? We hope so. Which we, you know, you know, I I I, I like I, I tend to think that sick and sedentary animals beget sick and sedentary people, and if you look mm -hmm. around, a whole lot of sick and sedentary people out there. Mm -hmm. Um. um so yeah, kind of going back to that original story you told about the connection to food and why why we're drawn. You know, you you want to go shoot that big bull, not the weak, sick one, right? Right. Um, right. And uh, you know, so much of what we're getting is that we've actually bred our domesticated livestock to be weak and sick, right? We've bred um, cattle to be docile so that we can handle them and they don't present a threat to us. We've bred them to be lethargic. So they don't burn a lot of calories. So we can pack on pounds quickly because they're not exerting themselves. We bred them mm -hmm. to also produce a bunch of intermuscular fat. That would be a sign of disease in us. But in animals, it's a premium, something that you pay for, right? And so it's just mm -hmm. these really interesting, you know, kind of realities that if you start to get bits and pieces of the bigger picture and put the puzzle together, you're like, wait a minute, this is kind of screwed up. Mm-hmm. Robbie, are you a hunter? Oh yeah. You hunt? What's your favorite thing to hunt? I grew up uh hunting whitetail out here in um kind of southwest Texas. More okay. west Texas. Okay. Yeah, Texas and hunting. I've got a thing about turkeys. Turkeys in Texas. That's my jam. And uh I love it. I absolutely love it. And turkey's just crazy good meat. Crazy good meat. Yeah. Um yeah, that and that and you know fishing. I mean, that's kind of for me where my background is, right? You know, I went to school like anybody else and went got herded into some formal business path, right? But I always grew up hunting and fishing. I mean, my, all my all my free time was trying to get out on some land somewhere, talk to some neighbor, get a hookup from some way to get whether it's their stock tank or a, mm -hmm. set up a blind or drive down to the coast and how far where can I get to by truck, you know? And so you know, for that to translate as I've gotten older to be involved, you know, get to be involved in an industry and now, you know, running an organization like this one where um, that overlap exists is really, really cool for me. Mm -hmm. Well, Robbie, uh, you know, time flies when you're having a great conversation. Um, I appreciate the time, man. I appreciate, I know it took us a while to figure out time schedules and you're a family man like me and we're pushing <laughs> up against that time of the day when everyone starts pouring into the house and you're like, all right, you got to stop doing work. Um, but thank you, man. I, you know, as I said, meat is a very important central part to a lot of people's reasons for why they hunt. And I think the elements of that why in terms of how the animal was raised, knowing that the animal lived as good a life as it possibly could live knowing how it was taken, how it was processed, who did that, and the story behind that animal that they can present to their family, that they can present to their friends. They can invite people over to experience that meat and that story is what, again, as I started this podcast by saying, when I started seeing you guys and, and following you and, and seeing what you guys were doing, is it, it came through, but it wasn't hunting. 
it was regenerative agriculture. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much uh, for giving us this opportunity. I think I think one interesting thing I'll, I'll 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 leave you with to draw the connection between regenerative agriculture and hunting is that many of our our, our ranching partners have hunting operations on the ranch because they have created um, such a thriving ecosystem on their land that wild animals um, come. In fact, uh, in our local home farm here in in in, in Fredericksburg, Texas, there are what you mentioned Texas turkeys. There are wild turkeys that are volunteering into the um, into the flock of turkeys that 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 they have out there because you know they're like, hey, this is this is fantastic. You know, this it's is good, this is good life right here. Exactly. So if you want to learn more about us or or what we're doing, you kind of mentioned yeah. following us at, at Force of Nature Meats is our is our handle on Instagram. We're putting all kinds of stories and videos and fun stuff out. We actually just launched a podcast called Where Hope Grows. Yeah, did, I saw that. Did, did a whole episode on wild boar, um, and so nice. maybe this maybe this conversation with you might be a little bit of a teaser. We have yeah. blogs and all kinds of stuff on our website, forcenature.com. You, and you did mention a really cool uh, documentary, Biggest Little Farm. I would really encourage you and others to watch the Kiss the Ground documentary. Um, oh, got it. Really, I'll really, really, it. really elaborates on a lot of these concepts and connects them, and it's available on Netflix. Uh, so I think that'd be pretty. Pretty good stuff for most folks that might they might find interesting. So thank you again. Kiss, kiss the ground. I'll certainly look it up. Um, always interested in in good little documentaries like that. And yeah, and everybody check their website out, forceofnature.com. Uh, as you mentioned, they've got a, a journal piece called Inside the Herd that has a number of articles being posted about all sorts of different pieces, defending meat, health, uh, cooking. Um, yeah, I love it. Great to meet you, Robbie, and a great name, although it's spelled wrong. <laughs> you as well, Robbie. Cheers, and it's spelled wrong. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.